All right, we are going to try this again as uh, trying to learn this new technology. We are trying to, uh, to integrate the app into our remote broadcast. By the way, this is Midlife Sporting Crisis. I'm your host, TJ Hollingsworth. Joining me right now, I can hear him on the other end, is my good friend, co-host, Aaron Brownwell. Aaron, what's going on, man? Hey, man, I'm just braving the storm here in uh, Fishers, Indiana. Well, I know. It just blew through here a little while ago, and we actually had the power flicker off, so I made the executive decision to run out here into the Adventure Mobile, which is my uh, my Class A motorhome, where I have a hot spot. So I'm actually broadcasting from in there. I've got the air conditioner running, so hopefully that isn't too much of a distraction. But uh, I hear you loud and clear. How about on the other end? Oh, sounds great. Sounds uh, terrific. Great. Terrific. Very good. I'm using earbuds, which I don't typically do. I usually... I uh, like to use a microphone, but I am all about keeping it simple. So good stuff there. So uh, anyway, hey, everybody, what's going on? Welcome to uh, the second edition, our second broadcast of our new and improved and slightly retooled uh, podcast, Midlife Sporting Crisis, all about uh, chasing your passions and not giving up on it and uh, trying some new things out and things of that nature. And uh, that's kind of the topic of today's show is, you know, why do people stop pursuing their passions and why don't they pick them back up or try new things later in life? Uh, anyone that caught our last episode knows uh, that uh, uh, brought Aaron in on uh, on the podcast simply because he is doing something for the first time, uh, playing ice hockey. And, uh, Aaron, we did have a game last week. I'd like to get you yeah. – I've, I've been intentionally not trying trying to keep from talking to you about it. Uh, we talk a couple, three, four times a week. But I've been intentionally avoiding that topic just to uh, – I wanted to save it for the show, so – uh, tell everybody a little bit about the game last week, and uh, I got a couple of questions for you. Tell us about it. So last week's game, let's see. Um, well, it started off for me uh, pretty rough, actually. <laughs> uh, um, I was hurt within the first uh, like 15, 16 minutes of the game, I had to leave the ice. My ribs were killing me. But <laughs> you took a little bit of a tumble there. Let's let's see what uh, think. When you say you were hurt, you certainly weren't incapacitated or didn't miss any work or anything. But you, but you did look like you probably got the wind knocked out of you pretty good. Yeah. I, so I don't know if you know this, and so the end of last season, I uh, like last season third period, maybe I don't know, ten or twelve minutes in. I took a really hard fall onto the right shoulder. And, I remember that. Uh, all right. So as I stated in my first podcast with you, uh, I don't go to the doctor. Although maybe I should have because I'm pretty sure I dislocated my shoulder for a while. Like I was really struggling to lift my arm. And, and right. I, I remember you uh, grousing about the uh, the pain when we do a, <laughs> you know, when we go out and skate or do a stick and puck. So, with that being said, uh, last Sunday's game, uh, maybe, I don't know, five minutes into the game, I got drilled pretty hard and hit the ice. Guess what? Right shoulder first. The good news is, I'm pretty sure I re- relocated my shoulder because the, the pain's pretty much gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, yeah, win-win. <laughs> <laughs> So you took a little tumble. I, I actually I took a pretty good little fall too, but surprisingly, uh, it didn't hurt. And if anybody wants to see these, uh, I posted mine on uh, on Instagram. I'm going to pull it up right now because I can't remember which page. I've got like 300 Instagrams, so uh, I want to make sure I, I think, believe I put it on uh, Midlife Hockey 
if you look that up, you'll find I got slew footed. And for, uh, for anyone that doesn't realize what slew footed is, that is where you have your feet taken out from you from behind. So imagine standing still and somebody walking up behind you and just pushing your feet straight out in front of you. Um, it, it sucks. It is not cool. Uh, and went right down on my butt, which usually jars your back and, and makes things very uncomfortable. But somehow or another, I, I managed to, uh, not get hurt all that bad. It didn't really hurt at all. Actually, I got up. I think I was, a couple of days later, I felt a little bit of stiffness, but no big deal. But so yeah, both of us kind of took a, a little bit of a tumble, but all in the name of a, of a good time. Oh, absolutely. Mine was, uh, I posted the video on my TikTok, which is, uh, MX Racer 125, by the way. If you want to <laughs> see somebody that's getting better at falling down, that, that's me. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I, was uh skating down the ice and i had somebody try to uh take the puck from me and the video clearly shows them whack my skates out from under me with their stick yeah they did give you a pretty good shot uh mine's beer league hockey guy if anybody wants to go look at it um there's not a whole lot on there but there's a little bit of hockey stuff that we talk about but um i just want to bring that up that you know aaron again this this is all a brand new thing to you aaron just you know just kind of a a few months into it how bad were you hurt? Did you miss work? Anything of that nature? Oh, I don't miss work. I, I'll go to work with a broken arm, broken leg. I, I don't miss work. <laughs> you know? uh, a couple extra uh, aspirin out of the medicine cabinet. They never know. And you're, but, good, you're ready to rock and roll. Well, I, I just yeah. want to bring that up to to emphasize that, you know, I hear a lot, you know, a lot of people, I hear younger people. Oh, man, that sounds like fun, but I'm afraid I'll get hurt. And, you know, I, I'm always going to have a soft spot. Uh, in, uh, in, in these broadcasts for hockey, this podcast started as a beer league hockey. And that's what you and I play beer league hockey guys that uh-huh. play. And there's usually, uh, some kind of a beer meeting in the parking lot afterwards. I, I joke all the time that, uh, adult hockey is the only sport I know of that encourages, uh, loitering in the parking lot after the games. Cause any given time you go through there, there's usually a, the group from the, the last game that just finished before yours is usually out in the parking lot. Uh, both teams hanging out together, drinking beers, telling stories about the game. Yeah, I actually, I I hung out with the guy that slew footed you <laughs> after the game was. Yeah, I, I saw that. I, I really wanted to go over and talk to him because uh, I was going to post this video and I didn't simply because, and I'm drawing a blank here, Aaron, help me out, uh, the gentleman that coaches us. Oh. Um, I'm just drawing a blank, just a complete blank. Anyway, yeah, me too. There was a little altercation. It was a verbal altercation, and the guy was the the guy that that, that slew footed me was arguing about the call. Now again, let, let me reiterate: this is D League, and in this case, D could very easily stand for developmental because most of the people playing this game didn't pick up the game until much later in life, like you and I did, or right. they played when they were younger and they're just getting back into it. It is very much. Uh, you know, when you get tangled up with somebody, uh, you know, in the NHL, two guys will hit, they'll fall down, they jump right back up, and they're down the ice. In our league, everybody's like, oh, man, are you okay? You sure you're all right, man? So there ends up being a conversation in the middle of the game. Uh, you know, that that's kind of the spirit and intent of, of this type of hockey. And uh, this guy was going at it like it was game seven of the Stanley Cup finals. And after he and I crashed, uh, I just looked right up, right up. I said, dude, I said, you you don't need to be playing this hard. It's D league. And he kind of mumbled something. I just kept saying, Hey man, it's D league. There's no reason to play this hard for this. You know, there's no stats. There's no championship. 
And then he was continuing to grouse about the call in the box. And that's when our, our coach slash instructor slash referee went over and just laid a couple F-bombs on him and told him, you can, if you don't like it, get off the ice. And right. I, I felt badly. I'm going to call him a kid. I'm, I'm going to be 54. So anybody under the age of 40 to me is a kid. I really wanted to go over and talk to him and say, Hey man, I was just like you when I was doing this. Uh, it'd be two years ago now when I started, it's like, you need to get over this real quick because you are not going to make any friends. No one's going to want to play hockey with you and nobody's going to want you on their team. But that was, I, 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 I could empathize with where he was coming from, but I, I still wanted to come over and have that conversation, but I didn't want to, you know, put him out there on front street in front of you and whoever else was over there chatting him up. So I, I let it go. I let it go. Uh, I clearly went over there to talk to him because, uh, so far it's been, um, myself and him in the penalty box <laughs> kind of was, was kind of like hey right on for getting in the penalty box with me i did start chirping him a little bit i started calling him ovechkin every time he touched the puck i go oh here comes ovechkin here comes ovechkin <laughs> okay. but i thought yeah that's that, that was just that was kind of my way of, of i guess uh venting my frustration on the situation well, let's kind of shift this. So, Aaron, you tried something new, kind of out of the blue, and I don't want to rehash that. If anybody wants to, to know more about what we're talking about, just go back to uh, to the previous episode. But, uh, Aaron, I, I know you used to do a lot. You know, we, we talked last uh, last time how you used to ride, you know, uh, motocross, uh, four-wheelers and all that good stuff. And, and you know, myself, I, I was, you know, pursuing motorsports, driving as a career up until about 2000. And I know why I stopped. Um, I don't think I've ever really talked about why you stopped, but I really wanted to kind of cover in this episode is why do people, uh, you know, quit pursuing their, their hobbies or passions or whatever you want to call them. And then what, you know, what stops them from, you know, picking those back up later in life? And, and we'll kind of cover that. But let's start with you first, Aaron. You know, you, you were doing a lot of, you know, like I said, motocross, uh, a lot of it recreational. You, were, were you doing, were you competing at all? Uh, I, I did race at Red Bud up in Michigan, Buchanan, Red, uh, Buchanan, Michigan, to be mm-hmm. exact, a couple of times, and that was a really good time. Um, was it anything, uh, I, though, you were pursuing, like as far as chasing a points championship or running a regular series of any type, or was it more just having fun on the weekends with the, with the fellas? It was more having fun on okay. the weekends, but, but there was a, a few times that there was some points involved. Sure, and, sure. And what made you decide to, to walk away from that when you did? Well, let's start with that. When did you just, you know, when did you walk away and say, I'm kind of done with this for a while? Um, well, my, my late wife used to, uh, you know, kind of razz me because it seemed like I would go in stages. Like I would be into dirt bikes for a little bit and then I would get out of dirt bikes and I would get into four wheelers and then I'd be into four wheelers and then I'd get out of them and go into stand up jet skis. And then once I was in the stand up jet skis, well, then I had to have snowmobiles. <laughs> so, and, and it just was a revolving cycle. So when I decided to get out of dirt bikes, I, like I said, I picked up this four wheeler and, uh, you know, my friends all had banshees and that, and I wanted to build something that was, uh, a total sleeper to be, you know, to use the racing term, total sleeper. So I picked up a Yamaha Banshee, or not Banshee, Blaster, and sent it out and had all kinds of work done to it. And, uh, man, that thing kept breaking my ribs. I just couldn't get away from it. So on the third set of broken ribs, I was like, man, I got to get away from this thing. So, mm-hmm. so that's why I 
decided, uh, you know, maybe the four wheeler isn't the best idea. So yours was, your, your kind of exodus from, uh, from that form of power sports was kind of more based on health. It was just you, you were tired yeah. of your, having your body beat up. I was constantly injured. What, what did you do to, to kind of fill that void in your life for, for that, you know, for the excitement, the adrenaline? What, what were you doing or were you doing anything at all? Well, I would, uh, I said I moved into stand-up jet skis. I'm like, how can you get hurt on a stand-up jet ski? Well, guess what? What's the last power sport <laughs> thing that you've owned? Because since I've known you, you haven't had any of these things. What was the last thing you owned and when? Uh, snowmobiles, and I got rid of them when I moved here in 2015. Okay, so when you moved, you're from northern Indiana where there's slightly, or at least you're closer to snowmobile area. Did, right. I, I would imagine that probably requires some traveling. Yeah, you would, uh, we would normally... Try to be as soon as the snow fall, the snow fell. We would try to load up and go to uh, like the South Bend Buffalo Run Trail system. Mm-hmm. And you you really wanted to get there pretty soon because uh, man, it would just you know everybody with a snowmobile right. was headed to there, and man, it would just get so chopped up and right. And, uh, and know, for anybody that's up. listening that's not from Indiana, uh, you may think we're in the Midwest and we're in the snow belt. And the truth be told. Especially for snowmobile, there, there's just not that much snow around here. Uh, probably the last eight or ten years, it really hadn't even hardly been cold enough to make that kind of snow anyway. Uh, when I worked as a, a sheet metal fabricator, the guy I worked for, uh, a little mom and pop shop, and he was kind of like that, obsessed with snowmobiles. But he was going clear up to the UP to, uh, to find any quality snow that, you know, that had any, you know, staying power. You know, that, from what I understand, you know, you start getting up there in you know, northern Wisconsin, Minnesota, the UP, which is Upper Peninsula, Michigan. You're talking once the snow falls, it's there until spring. Does that sound about right? Yeah, it's uh, that's absolutely correct. Right on. All right, so really, your your kind of your moving out of that was kind of based on uh, I, I need to move, and you relocated to kind of start a new career. Would that be accurate? Yes, sir. See, that's, that, that's interesting because that was kind of one of those things that you know that okay, that's a, that I would call that a forced uh, retirement, I guess we'll call it retirement for lack of a better word. You got out of that sport simply because you were moving, did want to bring that stuff with you. And I'm sure there were some financial considerations in there as well. Uh, which is very interesting because if I had to guess, I would say most people, you know, when they give up, be it, you know, power sports or like me with motorsports after chasing that from the time I was 16 to I was in my late thirties, uh, you know, it's a pretty big financial drain on a family and especially when you, you know, you got a young family and, and, you know, you buy your first home and you're going through all that, something's got to give. And with me, it was, you know, at that point in my life, when I was younger, I'd kind of figured I hope my, my goal was to be somebody, at least if I wasn't being paid to drive a car, at least I would be not having to drive my own. I would be driving someone else's and it'd be their responsibility to, you know, pay the bills for it. Uh, that didn't happen, and that was probably the the biggest factor in me deciding, hey, you know what, this is probably time for me to stop that and hang up the helmet. And, and mine was financial, 100% financial. Uh, it was just becoming too much of a drain. I'd you know run up a credit card, putting some race cars together, uh, and it, you know it, when it became clear, hey, this is this is going to be you know if you're going to keep doing this, it's coming out of your pocket for the foreseeable future. That's kind of when I walked away, and I just wonder how many people that uh, you know get into you know, I don't care if it's, you know, fly fishing, uh, big game hunting, golf, tennis, whatever, kind of run into that same thing. Um, what are, what are some experiences you've had, Aaron, with people, you know, 
Well, uh, we have two boys, and uh, it seemed like I moved out of it, but the boys were very interested in it. Right. So we continued, you know, we bought the smaller bikes, and, and man, it seemed like uh, just what you touched on, you know, each kid we'd take to the to the Honda dealer or wherever we were at, and, you know, it's it's six, seven hundred bucks just in gear yeah. for each kid. You know, by the time you buy a helmet and chest protector and, of course, you got to have the jersey and the pants and, you know, the boots and and, uh, you know, the gloves and, you know, all that goes with it. Right. It's you're, you're six, seven hundred bucks in before you ever decide to step on a bike. You know? and, let, and let's be real. Parents will always spend double the amount of money on safety gear for their kids as they would ever spend on themselves. And that, that was absolutely that was a, the wonderful thing about uh, both the boys. They were not allowed to get on their bike without all their safety gear on. And and they respected that because, you know, they seen, you know, me being trashed, uh, not trashed. That, that doesn't sound me being tore you know, just injured. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, and they're like, whoa, 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 you know. But see, that's interesting because I, I my. My kids were very young when I was doing the majority of my racing. My two boys, my daughter, who is a daredevil or was a daredevil when she's younger. I'm sure she mellowed out a little bit by now, but, uh, she was the only one that really even kind of sort of a little bit expressed interest in anything motorsports related, but it was never anything more than a passing, you know, thing eh, and yeah, whatever. She went to the racetrack with me one time and helped you with my pit crew. In fact, the last, uh, last open wheel midget race I, I ran at a dirt track in Lawrenceburg, Indiana. She was my pit crew, which was a really special day. But uh, none of them really showed any interest in pursuing it whatsoever. So I guess on one hand, financially, that was a blessing. Um, but on the flip side of that, my, my daughter's son, her oldest boy, my grandson, who I was with yesterday, uh, is obsessed with cars, which at 17 years old, and Aaron, you, you, you can probably vouch for this too, that is becoming a rarity. Young people interested in automobiles. Yeah, everybody wants to. It, it, I see this quite a bit. I, I wanted to touch on this too, but I see this quite a bit. You know, being being new to hockey, um, we go and we help out on Saturday mornings with the kids on the ice over in Carmel, and mm-hmm. you know, they learn to play hockey programs. Great program, you know. And if you're listening and you have one of those programs and young kids, please get them involved, man. It's it's incredible. They get to learn some hockey skills and get them out. Like they, they, get them out from in front of the computer and the video games. Yeah, but you can definitely tell the kids that are there that are interested and the kids that are there that were brought there because their parents want them to play, but <laughs> they're they're just there to hurry up and get through it so they can get back to their screen time. I right. Mean, you can definitely tell. It bothers the heck out of me because of that, you know, because I can, uh, you know, I, I hate to call kids out, but there's a there's a little kid that comes there, and I'm just like, dude, what are you doing? You know, yeah, just, there's certainly, can, certainly you see that some kids that just aren't the least bit interested in what's going on. And, you know, I kind of wonder if uh, what we're seeing in sports in general, we're kind of getting off on a tangent here, but, Sports in general are kind of suffering, team sports anyway, because of uh, a lack of younger people wanting to be involved. Um, you know, financially, I, I understand that from the parents' standpoint. Uh, you know, little things like, you know, I'm going way off on a tangent here, but, you know, like, I, again, I kind of default back to motorsports. That's certainly where I have the most experience. 
uh, in kart racing. It is, you know, it's, we're getting fewer and fewer young people coming into the sport that have, you know, that are racing what I call on a family team, meaning, you know, uh, mom and dad or some combination thereof, you know, they, they buy a, a go-kart and they kind of work on it and they take it to the tracks. What we're seeing now is, uh, it is easier for dad just to stroke a check, uh, for what we call an arrive and drive, which means your driver shows up with his helmet and his suit and somebody else is doing all the work for him, uh, which is great if you're very wealthy. But when I heard of some of the money that was being plopped down for some of these go-kart rides, and we're not talking about a super sophisticated national level, uh, cart that is part of a program that leads them into, uh, you know, the road to Indy program or anything like that. We're talking just to race at your local track. There's people paying five, six, $700 a race weekend. And it just, I mean, just, I mean, three of those and you could have bought a nice used cart, but you know, I, I kind of digress. I want to kind of, I'm, I'm going to steer this back around to our topic. I, I am so easy to get distracted on tangents. Um, you know, when you when you hear people, you know, guys you work with or, you know, people you you know, what are some things you hear them say? You know, my favorite is I used to fill in the blank. Perfect example. Uh, when I was selling Harley Davidson motorcycles or I'd be out riding mine, I'd stop somewhere and somebody'd come up and they, you know, they'd be checking out your bike. And we get a little conversation and I never forget. I'd always hear. Yeah. When I was younger, I had a fill in the blank Harley Davidson. I go, oh, really? What happened to it? Well, you know, family guy growing up, wife didn't want me getting hurt, you know, with the kids and all that, so I sold it. Oh, okay. Well, how old are your kids? Ah, 32 and 41. Oh, wow. So why don't you get another motorcycle? Why don't you get another bike? And the look on their face is kind of like you just asked them to solve, uh, uh, you know, the, the God equation for the, for, for the hydrant collider. It's like, what, what do you mean? It's like, well, you know, you're, you're an empty nester now. You probably got tons more disposable income than you did when you were, had the bike the first time. I still make them. Why don't you go get another motorcycle? And I just wonder, you know, I, I know there's a million reasons why people stop doing things. And I'm always curious as to what stops them from getting back into the things that, you know, made them feel young, made them feel alive and, and you know, uh, entertain them afterwards. Man, I'm glad you brought that up, TJ, because before I went through a whole a whole deal, and uh, you know, I, my my wife passed away last year. I didn't really want to talk about it, but she passed away last year, and and at the time I was having some health issues. You know, I was trying to get my my blood sugar back under control, mm-hmm. and and you know, just a lot of things happening, and and I needed to to get my head clear. And what I mean by get my head clear is. I had to focus on something else, things that, you know, the, the mental right. things that were happening in my life. I needed to figure out something else to uh, put my focus on. Right. And man, I, I went back and forth, back and forth, man. I went to, I went over here to Westfield Power Sports. I'm good friends with the people over at, at uh, Tomwood Power Sports, both here in Indianapolis and up in Anderson went over there and I seriously considered buying another dirt bike. I really like, I I was looking at them and I really was thinking, man, I really, I feel alive when I get on these things. I really need to, to do this. I have the money. So I'm like, you know, it's not, it's not, nobody's, you know, you know, due to the the wife passing, nobody was here to tell me no, you (laughs) know, I mean, so I, man, I, I'm telling you, I went and I looked and cause I, like I said, I, I feel alive on them things. Mm-hmm. I love the dirt sure. sports and, you know, and, and, but 
you know, I, I'm, I'm there and I'm, you know, I got money in my pocket and I, I'm looking at all this stuff and, and I'm like, man, I could do this. I, I, I'm ready, you know? Right. And then it hit me. You know, the last time you were on a dirt bike was over at uh, another friend's house and you were, you know, you had a broken wrist and you're out there uh, with broken wrist, all, all bandaged up and, you know, and you're out there jumping the triple with a broken wrist on their dirt bike. And like, <laughs> boy, uh, maybe a dirt bike isn't such a good idea. You know, you're, you got a daughter to take care of now and, and you're, you got a, you know, house and all this and maybe you should. So I chose hockey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious. Did you ever consider doing something like a cruiser, like a Harley, you know, like a, like a road bike or anything of that nature? I am not a street guy. I just, uh, I just don't, I feel safer as dumb as this sounds. I feel safer with my gear on and you know, the, the bike pinned and you're coming out of a turn, setting up for a big jump and it's you and the bike and the air and the dirt and the landing. And that's all you have to focus on. Right. You know, I, I, I know exactly what you're saying, Aaron. I know exactly what you're saying. I, I hear that from people when they they uh, find out that I race you know, cars. They go, you know, doesn't that worry you getting hurt? Aren't you worried about crashing this, that, the other? And I, I tell them, I say, you know, I say, I have more of those, call them a pucker moment, driving in the car on the interstate or driving down the road simply because, at least on the racetrack, we're all going the same direction. We all are know how to get around the racetrack and everybody's focused and paying attention out on the street, man. Uh, I, I've spent four hours, gosh, no, two, four, eight and a half hours in the last 24 driving back and forth to Cincinnati and, uh, glancing over at people driving down the interstate at 70 miles an hour, looking at their telephone is just terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. You don't I have that on the racetrack. You don't have that on the racetrack. And I, and I think what you're saying is probably the same thing. Am I hitting it? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I leave for work in the morning and I'm like, you can tell they're on the phone yeah. because they're, they're, their whole car's lit up on the inside, you know? Yep. So, uh, that's a, they're that's all a over the road. They're sitting through stoplights. They're going 50, then they're going 30. And then oh, that's, that, there's and a then, topic for a show right there. Yeah. And then on the way home, you're like, Hey, whoa, hey, 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 you know, and then you got to hit your horn and they're like, yeah. oh, they look up and, and they're you know, pissed at you for honking at them. Yeah, you know, come on. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you something that really, I, I did one of these and this really appealed to me. And this was something had I not got back into racing, I think I would have probably got pretty deep into. And that is endurance motorcycle riding. And uh, by that, I mean, over the road I did. Uh, it was great. These came, this came back up in my uh, Facebook memories uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, oh, the iron butt. The iron butt stuff. Yeah, that that I had more fun planning that ride uh, and executing it. And I'm going to take about two minutes here to explain to everybody what that is. Uh, there's a group in, in the United States, and I think it's worldwide now, called the Iron Butt Association, the IBA. And what they do is they sanction and they certify endurance runs. Uh, they've got all kinds of different ones. Uh, they have a big rally, and that's a whole other conversation. I'm just going to talk about their rides. Uh, the one I did is called the Saddle Soar 1000. Essentially what that is, is a thousand mile documented motorcycle ride in under 24 hours. 
Sounds like quite a bit, but if you think about it, you're averaging 50 miles an hour for 20 hours. There's your 24. Uh, the guy rode with a, a guy that worked with me at the Harley Davidson store, a guy named Pat Isom. He's one of my top salespeople. He and I knocked this thing out in about 16 and a half, 17 hours, if memory serves me correctly. But, uh, it's just what it said. You plan a route. Every time you stop, you get a, re- you put a few dollars worth of gas in your tank, whether you need it or not. But what you need to do is you're documenting your trip with uh, waypoints. So we're in Indianapolis, which is in central Indiana. Our, our route took us out west to St. Louis. So once we got to St. Louis, we found a gas station, got a little bit of gas, uh, got a receipt that had, you know, the time stamped on it, the location of where the place was at. And we asked the clerk to initial it, which most people are glad to do. They're happy to do it. Then we took off south uh, on the uh, west side of the Mississippi because we wanted to get onto, you know, get onto the west western part of the country, rode down parallel to the river to Memphis, crossed over to Memphis which is in Tennessee, right there in Memphis, you could dive down into Mississippi. So we we gassed up in uh, Memphis, got like 75 cents worth of gas in, in Mississippi so we could have a receipt that said Mississippi on it, then came back up through Nashville, Louisville, and then back to Indianapolis. Uh, and that's just kind of the starting point. They have another one called the uh, uh, 36CC, and that's 36 hours coast to coast. Most people do it as they start in Jacksonville, uh, Florida, you, you run down to the beach, you dip your toes in the Atlantic Ocean, you jump on your bike, and you ride across essentially I-4, excuse me, I-10 for most of the trip, and then you end in Santa Monica, California, you know, within 36 hours. But uh, there's all kinds of planning that goes into this, and, and these things really started to look interesting to me, and it was really neat. Uh, the planning of it, the, you know, figuring out your route, figuring out, okay, here's the day I'm going to leave. Well, you got to have some alternate routes because you don't know for sure what the weather's going to be. And you have all this other stuff. And this is still something I, I, I think I might take a crack at when I get done with uh, with uh, with racing, whatever that's going to be. But, man, I, I thought that might be something that you, you'd be great at that, I think. I was sorry. I was trying to look up what my my cousin did. Uh, trying to think what the heck she did. But she's got it documented. She rode. She's actually over in Europe riding for Harley Davidson right now. Cool. On a, on a, but she uh, did some kind of a travel across the country mm-hmm. on, a, on a motorcycle. And uh, I saw it, it, it's it's it a, I'll tell you when you're on a bike, and it's interesting because when, when I, I I got out of motorsports the first time, uh, I think it was the summer of 2000 was the last time I raced. And it was probably five or six years where I was looking for something to fill that void you know, the competitive part of, of motorsports. Um, everybody goes, oh, it's all about the speed. I, I hate to break the news to you folks, but when you're out with a group of other people going the sa- about the same speed, you have really very little sensation of going fast. It, it's the competition part of it. It's the, you know, driving a car on the razor's edge to where, you know, if you push it one-tenth of one percent more, you're losing adhesion, uh, you're losing control. You know, it, it's the adrenaline, the intensity uh, of that is which what I always found appealing about motorsports. And when you lose that, that's a big hole to fill. So I started riding motorcycles. Uh, I, I've always done cruisers. Uh, finally got into a Harley Davidson. And uh, yeah, that that long ride. I'm telling you, when you're driving, you can drive down a road, beautiful scenic road. But man, when you're on a motorcycle, it's like the difference between watching something on a flat screen and then watching something in HD virtual reality with goggles on. It is so different. The sights, the smells, 
the sounds, the things you don't get from inside of a car are just, are, are just mind blowing and the experience on a motorcycle. Now throw into that, that you're riding, you know, a thousand miles, you know, trying to crack that in under, you know, uh, 24 hours, or you're trying to go 1500 miles in 36 hours, you know, this is suddenly it becomes, you know, the, the intensity level goes up a little bit. You got to be on the ball. You got to be focused. You got to be, you know, in the zone, so to speak. And uh, that was about as close as I came to filling that motorsports void before I got back into it. Okay, so I found what what she did. All right. uh, you, can you say her name? Thing, can you mention her yeah, name? Yeah. Her name is Wendy, W-E-N-D-Y, B-A-T-T-L-E-S, and she rode the Hoka Hay. Oh, I know this ride. This is a cool ride. Go ahead. Well, I'm still looking uh, looking for you want i can tell you a little bit about it or you can what do you want to do yeah okay yeah, the, the hoka hay the, the hoka hay is a ride it's specifically for harley davidson motorcycles only or at least it was when i looked at it five six years ago and what it is is a cross-country ride where you're not allowed to use any electronics to navigate you can't use gps you can't use your cell phone uh if you're doing it the traditional style you camp on the side of the road with your motorcycle uh it is, uh, and I can't remember the name of the Native American tribe that kind of puts this thing together and organizes it. But the Hokahe, it was, it was similar to a journey that, that young warriors would have to go through as part of a rite of passage. And they kind of adapted it to a, uh, to a motorcycle format. Uh, it is super cool. I'm reading about this thing. It's very intense. And when you finish it, if you, if you meet all the requirements, if I'm not mistaken, you get a patch. I mean, a big patch that you can put on a vest or a jacket. And uh, they're pretty special because you have to earn it. It's not something you just sign up for, go through the motions, and, you know, here's your patch, have a nice day. Uh, it, it, it's it, it's a pretty intense ride, but it just, yeah, I, I did a little research on that, and it sounded absolutely phenomenal. That is very impressive that she's done that. Yeah, she's, like I said, they, uh, like I said Harley Davidson actually sponsored her to, to uh, go to Europe and ride ride them over there now. That's awesome. That is so cool. That is really neat. If you're if you're a motorcycle enthusiast, we just like reading about adventures. Look that up. Hoka Hay. Can you spell that for everybody? I don't have it in front of me. It's it's H O K A, and then Hay H E Y. Yeah, two different words. Uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, the other thing we're talking about, if you want to do a little research on it, and there's some. Oh my gosh, the stories are amazing. Uh, just look up uh, search Iron Butt Association. And you can also do a search for Iron Butt Ride Stories. There have been some fantastic riders who have uh, uh, ridden and written some amazing stories about their journeys. Uh, the actual the actual uh, Iron Butt Rally, they used to do it, I think it's every three years. Uh, but it is a, it's an intense ride. It's a 21-day event uh, to where, let's say they're going to start in uh, Santa Monica, California. So you register and you show up in Santa Monica. The thing is, you don't know where you're going until the morning you leave. And they have checkpoints. So they may start in Santa Monica, and the first checkpoint would be in uh, Billings, Montana, and you have 20 hours to get there. Okay, if you do the math on that, you might say, well, gee, that's only about a 14-hour ride. I'm making the distances up. I don't know, but you kind of get the point. So, but uh, they then give you... Uh, a criteria, meaning if you arrive early, you're docked points. If you arrive late, you're docked points. And if you're late twice, you're disqualified. So you get points for, for 
going from point A to point B. However, you can collect bonus points by veering off the course and taking selfies with yourself and, a, a, you know, your, your number, your official number at these different sites. So what you do is the night before you leave, they hand you a packet and they go, okay, you're, here's point A. Here's where you're going. Here's when you need to be here. Here's where you can collect bonus points. So you kind of have overnight to kind of plan, okay, where can I get my, uh, uh, where can I get my, uh, you know, bonus points and still make it on time, you know, et cetera, so on and so forth. So you, it's really neat. You really have to do a lot of planning and a lot of figuring out on the fly. So that's the Iron Butt Association. But then the rides, like I was talking about, again, some fantastic stories on there. And if you're looking, you like to read adventure stories, you can't go wrong with any of these. I read a few of those Hoka Hay stories, too. Absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, there's all, all kind of pictures of her on her trip. But yeah, it's very, very cool. Well, excellent. Well, so, you know, I think I just want to kind of wrap this up. And again, our, our kind of my goal with this uh, with this podcast uh, was to kind of inspire people to do exactly what you're doing, Aaron. And that, that is try something new. Uh, tremendous song, Darius Rucker. You may know him as Hootie from Hootie and the Blowfish. But Darius Rucker has got a great song. When was the last time you tried something for the first time? Uh, kind of take that back. There's all kinds of resources, uh, you know, whether you want to get into something new or get into something you used to do. Uh, a, drop us a note. You can reach us on our socials. You can find me at Midlife Hockey on Instagram. Uh, you can also find uh, Beer League or Beer League Guy, Beer League Hockey Guy on TikTok. You can drop the message there. Aaron, uh, what are your social medias again? Uh, mine is the MX Racer one two five on TikTok is the best place to get me in. So slide in there, drop us a DM. We got a listener on here, by the way, uh, the artist formerly, and I can't see the rest of his handles. Oh no, that's it. Darius is the man, absolutely. And you're right, our logo is outdated. Uh, I did update that, but sometimes I know when you pull us up, it doesn't pop up. So, eh, what are you gonna do? So anyway, that's gonna wrap it up. Any closing thoughts you'd like to share, Aaron? Just get out there and do something, man. Get step out of the normal and do something different. And man, you might you might actually like it, and it sure might make you feel alive again. You know, it'll turn turn your daily monotony into something that's you're looking forward to. You know, like I'm I'm looking forward to playing hockey on Saturday morning to learn to play, play hockey program. I'm looking forward to that already. It's you know it's you know like I like to call. Friday Eve, but Saturday morning, I'm, I'm going to be with the kids. I'm looking forward to that. The kids are a blast and it's a great program. And, and like I said, I have a ball and, you know, and usually fall down a lot. So I'll tell you some great inspiration. The Joe Rogan podcast, man, listen to Joe. Joe's an inspiring guy. Uh, I, I can only try to my best to emulate him, uh, when he gets talking, but, uh, listen to Joe Rogan. Uh, surround yourself with positive people. I mean, one of the things you find in this in this country uh, is life has gotten so easy, we do nothing. We sit around, we turn into big tubs of goo. Obesity is a huge problem. Get out and move your body. Get out in the fresh air. Get out in the sunshine. Try some stuff, man. Fishing, tennis, golf, uh, motorcycles, bicycles, uh, hockey. But I don't yoga. care. Yoga. Oh, my God. Just name it. Just get out. Do something. We are so blessed to live in a country to where, for the time being anyway, you can still pretty much do anything you want to do. Uh, I don't care if you've got a $10 budget or a $10,000 budget. 
There's something you can do that will bring you joy, bring you happiness, make you a better person, better father, uh, better mother, husband, son, daughter, whatever. Just get out do it. Think positive. That's going to wrap it up for this week. Aaron, I will see you on Saturday morning, my friend, at LTPH, yes, Learn to Play Hockey. Folks, drop us a note. We want to hear from you. Tell us what's going on. If you think you'd be a good guest, tell me why. We'll put you on the air. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you later. This is 